this is Sarah G. We are on episode 48 of Gen Z Gab, and today I've got Jeremy Gordon, who's a casting director and acting coach, on with me. Why don't you introduce and tell us a little bit about yourself right now? Absolutely. Thank you, Sarah. Um, yes, I am Jeremy Gordon, and it's true. I'm a casting director. Uh, I'm an acting coach slash audition coach slash career consultation coach, guy, whatever. I'm here to help you. Um, I've been casting for 15, 20 years. I work in the indie film world and studio network world, uh, film and TV. Uh, unfortunately, don't do much in the commercial world. I wanted to be an actor back in the day, but quickly decided that was not my jam. So naturally, I got a master's in education and was a classroom teacher for first and seventh grade before transitioning into casting and had a major career change in my 30s. And I just turned 50 and I'm still casting and producing and I love it as much now or more even than than ever. And you do stuff with website, right? Like you have a website we can go to, right? I have a website. Yes, thank you. It's luckily, it's just jeremygordoncasting.com. Awesome. Uh, it leads you to, it's not really about the projects that I've cast. It's more about my coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can book with me and all of the contact information is on there. I also have Instagram, which lucky enough is my name at Jeremy Gordon, mm-hmm. uh, which I post a few times a week. I'll post actor advice reels, fun spirited, positive, mm-hmm. it's comment and network. And on there is a link tree which will lead you to more uh, links about me and classes that I'm teaching or back to my website so there are many ways to get in touch with me and lastly really quickly I have a group on Facebook called Casting Directors for Actors it's F-O-R-4 not the number four because there's another group that stole my idea Um, we have 120,000 worldwide industry members actors casting directors Mm -hmm. agents producers whatever it's there for networking of course it's free it's giving advice getting advice answering questions asking questions uh, so I advise everyone to join that and you can find that on my link tree on my Instagram if you forgot the name awesome so let's kind of get into like what made you start this casting what career kind of change that you said like what made you decide to go from a classroom where you were teaching like littles to now you know doing this as your yeah. full-time acting yeah. coaching and casting sure so I definitely had a different uh different start in my career. Um, I went to college to be an actor. I thought I wanted to be an actor. So I had all of that training and that knowledge. I don't think I was ever good as an actor, but universally, there must have been some reason why I wanted to do it. Okay, cut to all these years later. I'm in my like seventh year of teaching, and my best friend at the time was a line producer for a horror film company. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was like full moon features. They make the those campy movies where dolls come to life and kill you. Oh, Super fun. Yeah, those Chuck like that. All right. So sitting around one night, we just came up with this genius idea that a line producer and a teacher in LA should have a production company. Seemed to make sense at the time. So we quickly formed a production company. And a week later, as I'm teaching a history lesson on the Bill of Rights, he calls me. Uh, I step outside to answer. And he said, we just got a five-picture deal with Full Moon Features. We are going to both produce, and you're the casting director. I'm like, cool, sounds great. I don't know what that means. I'm teaching. I'll call you later. <laughs> yeah, that's and, Lin-Manuel Miranda of you, I kind of feel like, because he started out as a history teacher, and then he's he obviously 
he minored in music but that's how i always like when i hear these moments it was like oh my gosh that's very very lin-manuel kind of i love that <laughs> and yeah so i like i made it up as i went along these were like low budget non-union films at the yeah. time i was teaching we've all and... been there we've all been yeah. there no they're great they're great no negatives I was doing both jobs for two years and casting at nights and on the weekends. And then two years later, I'm like, I love this casting thing. And this is why I think I went to college to study acting. And I quit teaching and have been casting and producing since. Wow, that's so cool. So you said something earlier to me about podcast casting. And I was curious about that. I wanted to know what goes into casting a podcast. You see me doing this completely independent, but you also have the big names that work with like Spotify, iHeartRadio, or have these big production companies. Do you use backstage? What what all goes into this? Sure. So podcast casting can be as similar to on-camera casting or vastly different. Every project, every podcast is different, just like every on-camera project mm-hmm. is different. So the first podcast I cast and produced, America 2.0, which is still on all major podcast platforms. Wow. Uh, and we're getting a, a relaunch with a new company shortly, which is exciting. Um, it, it's a six-episode scripted political podcast, kind of like The West Wing. Awesome. Um, it is not an us-versus-them type of podcast. It's a, just a pro-politics, just to get people sort of inspired to be involved with politics and not lose all faith in everything that's going on. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, so for that, myself and my producing partner, Spencer Garrett, and the two writer-creators, J.S. Mayank and David Carlisle, uh, we had a table read for what was then the pilot episode. And at, at the table read, the decision was made, let's break this up into the pilot into six episodes for a podcast and get that out there because the road to a pilot in the series is so long and difficult. We had such amazing feedback from these actors at the table read that were like, we can do this and we can do this now. Um, it was self-financed. So we had total control and we just called it all of our favors. So this was different because we didn't have anybody audition. We just called in favors to everyone from Lawrence Fishburne and Patrick Adams and Kate Walsh and Shanola Hampton and Kate Walsh. You know you know Addison Montgomery. I do. I do. Oh my gosh, I love her. I love her. Fastest and is just incredible. I mean, literally, the list just goes on. I mean, like, I amazing. I love her in Sprung. I just she's great in everything, and she equally is great in the podcast. just in an, an ADR booth. Right. Uh, so the casting process was different because these were all favors we were asking of our sort of and celebrity of course, friends. I'll quickly say, I love Lawrence Fishburne. I love all those I other ones. I just was like freaking out. I had a little fangirl moment. That's great. We like that. <laughs> like that when maybe you go listen to the podcast and all of your listeners. Oh, yeah. and, I mean, I've been always interested in acting because of my ADHD and being dyslexic. It really helped me to actually 
oh, hey, I could do this. Like, hey, I can actually do this. Like, just because I have these things that limit me a little bit, I could actually do this. So I just wanted to say that she and Patrick Dempsey, Patrick Dempsey was really uh, one for me because he had dyslexia and I heard his whole casting process. (laughs) And I was always nervous. Like, now I'm like, I don't have to worry about it. Like, plenty of people are dyslexic. It's not a big deal. No. And when I tell you, like, we get all sorts of people in auditions, whether it's in the room back before the pandemic or on Zoom now. Yes. I was going to ask. With all sorts of things. And it's just on a human level, it's like, so what? It would take a little bit extra time. You want to do it a few extra ways. Yes. Everything is good. It, we want the best performance out of you, which will only happen when you're comfortable and feel like you can trust us. So yes. I, I don't care if an actor has ADHD or one leg or exactly. whatever. Or blind in the left eye. Sorry, that's <laughs> audition deaf actors. I auditioned awesome. yeah, I think the so. Mandarin pilot. And I don't speak Mandarin, but we made it work. Yeah, I think one of the things <clears throat> I was gonna say, like about inclusivity, what have you noticed more so since the pandemic? Like, do you think that more opportunities have actually flourished? for people because of now using zoom and not just coming in or do you think that it's kind of been lacking especially when it comes to like when you're trying to you know uh ask someone who's deaf or blind or whatever like to see that do you need to actually see them in a room more to see how or is zoom just fine so it's a that's a deep intricate question and i love it yes um, very nuanced i just i was curious because i know yeah, that a lot sure. of people talk about how great some of the inclusivity has been and it kind of for me even though i look like i can see i can't see out of my left eye so i've always been curious like what you do kind of in those situations sure, sure. so i'm a way different more nuanced situation like i'm even a anomaly in my own little group but i just was curious yeah let's yeah let's talk about that um i think it's a little hard to distinguish if there's more inclusivity now because of the pandemic or because of technology matter and and then things that have happened sort of at the same time period and maybe it's a combination of all but i will say because of this remote casting that we're in look when we're when we're in the room i can only get so many actors in the session in an hour on zoom it is different i can and self-tapes of course you know we can see more self-tapes i do feel like there's more opportunity to when i say take chances it's take chances on an actor i don't know not an actor because they're blind but when i'm casting a tv show but shooting on tuesday and uh i don't have much time i need to bring in 10 actors who i know who are going to blow it out of the water because i'm pressed for time but with self-tapes and zoom casting i am able to give out more appointments and take chances on actors that i don't know Mm -hmm. regardless of whether they are blind or deaf or whatever or not. Um, So I do feel like it is opening up the opportunity to meet new actors and doors. And we genuine casting directors have always genuinely before it became the popular thing to do. We've always been pushing for inclusivity and diversity always. And now that it is the thing to do, it is easier for us to fight the fight and push when we have to. Um, And I think that, just by watching some TV shows, network TV, cable shows, whatever shows, I'm seeing it. Like, there are these actors 
who might not have had that opportunity a few years ago. And then now that here they are. And I'm like, it's great. And they don't make a thing of it. They're just themselves without their story being about being autistic or being gay or being whatever. Right. And that's what I really like a lot about these. Cause I, I've been in some, you know, acting classes where they go more old school by the book and I had to leave and it wasn't, the healthiest, I would say, but it, it, you know, it at least gave me an opportunity to see like, Hey, you know, you can leave that and see, and you also at least then get a little bit of a foundation of like, this is what sometimes people believe. It's probably not like that extreme anymore, but at least you get to see some things. And then when you work with more people who have been in your shoes, then you see what casting directors actually want. Like that one's more of like a, those stuff was the intro. And now that you're working with people one-on-one who know what's going on. Yeah, and look, we're all, there are gonna, going to be people in any industry who are just stuck in their old school and refuse to change. But I think for the most part, because we're artists, right. I think most of us enjoy the change. We're ready to embrace and, and get on the train and move forward with what's happening. I mean, I especially casting directors, and I can't speak for them all, of course, but right. I haven't spoken to a single casting director that was like, oh, no, we're not, no, no, we're not going to change. It's going to be the way it used to be. We fight for mm-hmm. genuine inclusivity and diversity. Like, we don't want someone who's going to fake an accent or pretend they're autistic. We want to hire actual... Right. And that right. was kind of where um, a lot of people, because this is Autism Awareness Month, which I didn't really know. But again, I'm right. learning constantly on TikTok. Like, again, I realized there's a month for everything. I don't know when ADHD month is, but it probably is coming up or something like that. But I learned and why, like, you know, different things don't match up with, you know, how you perceive it. But even people said with the Temple Graydon film with, uh, you know, Claire Danes playing her, they said she did a great job, but even now Temple Graydon has said, or Garden said, I would choose someone else now in the future. I didn't think it was the end of the world at the time, but that was because it was made in 2010 and she studied really well. But now she's like, it's been... 15 years ish and we could change it now absolutely and that was like the perfect answer i know she's kind of like for people uh you know controversy depending on whatever but that kind of moment i was hearing kind of made it set um a different tone like we can change that now yes absolutely. and i think that you know another great example was the proud family i don't know if you saw that episode but where they finally talked about like how one of the twins, he had autism, but they finally explained like the high needs versus the low needs. And it just was finally beautifully done, very well explanatory. And I do like that they bring on even writers that have had that set experience. Yes. And I just was wondering like, how long do you think it takes to like put a action or a movement towards that? Because yeah. I know sometimes that you have to handle those because they're very nuanced delicately. Yes. Look, I think to make the perfect ideal change in the industry, in casting, it, it starts well before casting. It's, mm-hmm. it's hiring writers in the writing room to tell the appropriate story from the actual perspective, not someone who's just well-studied in autism. Right. Um, that's the same. Well, like, you, we need to hire black 
writers and black showrunners. Right. Like, Blackish was a phenomenal show for yeah. reason. And whatever it is, like, so it starts there, and then everybody on that project, including the network or the studio or the whoever, we all need to be on the same page that mm-hmm. it's going to be a harder search, maybe, to find this person to portray whatever the character is. But and we don't want to fake it. We want to be true and right. genuine and respectful. And how long does that take? I think, unfortunately, that kind of change at all of those levels right. will take a while longer. But I think we are making strides. If you even look at the show Pose, the Ryan Murphy show, he hired actual uh, transgender writers, people, actors, whatever, to crew. There was such a high percentage of transgender people on that set. Mm-hmm. We need people like that to start setting that trend and to start pushing to make that the norm. It always takes longer than you right. want. It will take a few more years, but I do think that, I don't know, in the next five-ish years, I feel like this conversation will be less of a conversation because it will be just more in your norm, I hope. Right. And it was kind of like, it's always going to come up with these questions. I'm like, I know these are nuanced, but you have to have these discussions in order to make the difference. And that's where it's like... How so? But then I remember, because, you know, you asked me earlier, what is Gen Z? What is the age range? <laughs> From what I've seen, it's 97. I was born at the way end in November. So, yeah, I'm kind of November Scorpio energy. Oh, uh, Sagittarius. Oh, Sagittarius. Yeah, I was born on the last day of Scorpio. So I'm kind of a cusper, as you would I say. I was born on the 24th on Thanksgiving. So sad. Yeah, my parents were avoiding that. So, um, but that was kind of the funniest part of like how just, yeah, Scorpio and Sagittarius, I think that makes sense. I see a lot of people born in those kind of time frames that are the really like cutting edge actors i'm not saying not everyone but it's like i weirdly find out like a lot of these emmy winners are scorpios or sagittarius oh nice okay that was a little (laughs) off topic but i think what i was gonna say is that uh how do we keep these conversations going without it being like too much you know what i mean in terms of gen zers having their seat at the table Right. Yeah. Because we are told that we are a lot like where we, you know, sometimes they don't know how to shut up these, this generation, which I know they say that about every generation, but people say that we're also the generation that's going to change things. So it's like that constant power struggle where what do you also see from like Gen Z actors that you've worked with? Part of question of that is how, how does anyone get a seat at the table? So two things that come to mind right off the top of my head, um, (laughs) I think it's a great idea to pose to SAG, uh, one of one of the boards, to see if how can we get a, a Gen Z uh, task. I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Not task force, but Gen Z group together to discuss panel, uh, panel acting, but like an ongoing thing. Where right, you, exactly. I know what you're saying. Help, help educate, and and how do we make this good for all groups of people? I think that's a way to go, and you can do, also do that same thing outside of SAG. You and other Gen Zers that you know, uh, especially with the podcast platform, you right. can get together and have these discussions. Uh, I think that's you know get, make doing that work to get the group together to have the conversations and put it out there for people mm-hmm. to hear is super important. Um, and then what do I notice about Gen Zers? I mean, honestly, in terms of acting and auditions 
I can't say that I notice something vastly different between Gen Zers or millennials or whatever I am. I just wondered if we were like more comfortable or like we're not like we're not afraid of some like big like if there's like something big and explosive and like a. I don't. I honestly feel like it, it really is an individual thing. Actors are such an interesting breed of people. You have no matter what the age, you have some actors who are just everything makes them nervous. They're they're not really getting it or they don't take it seriously. And then on the flip side, no matter their age or their category, they're here and they're here to win and they work really hard and they take it really seriously and they're professional. I can't say that like Gen Zers are better or worse in any one specific thing. I just feel like actors are, are artists and they're emotional and they are who they are. Maybe Gen Zers are more authentic and cool to be themselves and if I bring you yeah, in I was gonna... not you like you're straight and bringing you in for a gay role that ain't no thing like it's not even a thought in your head you're all like cool with that i feel like much more open-minded and vulnerable and genuine in that way yeah but i also like have noticed like the one thing though that for me at least when I don't care. I just think like that I'd rather someone who's authentically in the LGBTQIA group should yes. play it. So of course. how do you like feel about that? Like where some people would say, you know, it doesn't matter because it's acting, but it seems like it always teeters in between. But then you wouldn't want me to play an ethnicity that I wasn't. So sure. would you sure. want me to play a sexuality that I'm not? So, that's so it's a great question. And I, I don't, I find myself conflicted and my answer changes often. Right. Look, it is acting and I cannot, I cannot expect only straight actors to play straight roles and only gay actors to play gay roles. If gay live in a perfect world. Well, sure. But also like if we want gay actors to be able to play straight roles, we also have to accept straight actors playing gay roles. Oh, or like Eddie Raymond uh, playing, uh, I forget, was he transgendered or drag? I don't remember. In the Danish girl. Um, oh, yeah. Yes, transgender in the Danish. Right. So it's, it can't just be black and white. Right. Yes, I understand that there are less gay roles, so therefore less opportunities, especially for uh the GLBTQIA. Yes, you know, the always the change. Right. That can't, like, I know plenty of guys that just legitimately won't feel straight playing this role. Uh, just like there are plenty of straight people that won't feel legitimate playing a gay role. So like, right. oh, so in that case, but like Neil Patrick Harris playing oh, a straight. I was going to say how I met your mother, like, Barney Stinson, the greatest character ever to be created. Right. And like, it, it wasn't a big deal. Uh, I know the flip side is a little bit more touchy, but I think, mm-hmm. I think as long as we're being respectful and there's a good reason why we've cast this straight person to play this gay role and we're Another- not just person I think that comes to mind is Eric Stone Street immediately who played yeah, on exactly. Modern Family. He yeah. is like who like I would say is the best ex- one of the best examples that you can probably bring out because he does handle it with such care and people got so confused that they really did confuse like if one of them was going to be straight they always thought it was Jesse Tyler Ferguson and not him because he did the role so beautifully but he was also just he's just a great per like person in general from what I've seen but it just makes it like seem like more he he just seemed to be so natural and not he was, he was so nuanced like one of the problems that I have when I watch straight actors playing gay roles 
being gay myself is, mm -hmm. yeah, you're doing a great job, but there are so many little things that you're missing because you're not gay. You're, you will That's never fair. be able to know I that. I personally moment. don't think I could do that because I, I am just already anxious to begin with that I'd not be doing this role justice. Like I can play it all these different ways, but at the end of the day, I probably wouldn't, I don't know it. Like I've, I just don't. Yeah. You know, like I can yeah. study, like you said, but you but that's what Eric did so well. Like he got a lot of those little nuanced moments that most straight actors right. just it just doesn't occur to you, and I can't blame them for it. But that's mm -hmm. why for me, then it takes me out of it. I'm like, oh, you missed that in that moment. Every other gay man would have mm -hmm. fill in the blank. Exactly, yeah. and that's kind of I think what works with him and Neil Patrick Harris is that they do such a great job of just kind of being natural about it. And yes, I just mentioned to very white guys, but I'm speaking of how they're sure. how they manage to do it and how they especially Eric managed to handle it with care. And that's Agreed. of why, like, yes, it really depends on like, you know, fluidity, all that kind of stuff. But it's just like where, you know, watching him and him doing such a great job, it's kind of like, yeah, I know I probably couldn't, you know, especially at this moment. Who knows? Never say never, but right, it would right. probably be better, you know, because it's such a nuanced thing that I play like a straight person or someone that it's just kind of like very like open, but very much more like on that. Well, for the moment, you play roles that you're comfortable with right. and then you're ready to push your own boundaries into roles that may make you a little nervous, anxious. Right. And it's just that it's always that like where how do you deal with people? And I shouldn't say deal, but how do you work with you know, clients like me, like I just stated, where, you know, there's so much nuance and intricacies and a huge question that goes along with it. But how do you, you know, work with clients who might not be super comfortable with, you know, yeah. the role, but the person in casting said that they should do it anyway, because I've been in those situations and then yeah. I completely bomb it. I mean, look, that's one of the reasons why I'm so glad that I got my master's in education and had that experience teaching. It really comes into play when I'm casting or coaching a client, you know, just knowing that there are so many different kinds of people who learn in so many different kinds of ways. When I'm teaching a class of 20 students, not, not that there's 20 different ways of learning, right. that, but I can't just give a presentation mm -hmm. or speak a lot and expect that every student's going to be able to take in that information and learn it. So in casting, every actor could potentially be different and need something different. So if I know ahead of time that, well, I don't know, you're autistic or blind in one eye, whatever it is, like then I can get myself together. I could do a little research. And I can even ask you, like, what do you do? You need anything special or different? What can I do? Please tell me if right that is is making it better or worse, and work with you so you can have your time and your moment and feel comfortable and right. just like I would for any actor. Uh -huh. And that's it's kind of where I... for me to learn as well. Right. And that's where it's like, also, they talk about now how they have more intimacy coordinators on shows. Yeah. And you can say no more and how it's just all done and, you know, said. And how do you feel? Do you think that that has also made a world of difference? I do. And there was a great article in The New York Times lately about intimacy coordinators. I I think it's so long overdue right before the me too movement and it's not just about sex or kissing intimacy the coordinators cover 
any potentially awkward, uncomfortable moment for cast and crew. Right. And, you know, guardians, if the actors are minors, mm-hmm. re- just to know that there's someone on set who just has your back and your best interest at mind and saying no or having a certain conversation with the director. It's so important. I think they are really making a world of difference. Um, I guess there are some who are going to try to get in the way too much and like take out all of the kissing and whatever. But I, for the most part, that's not what they do. And I think that it's a very needed and important position. Mm -hmm. So, and then kind of as we, there's a lot of different nuance, like we said, but uh, I'm trying to think, how much do you see, like, you know, with streaming networks, are networks going to like start to move to their own, like work with streaming platforms and then not even like, are we going to, do you think that we're going to get rid of cable and satellite altogether? Or do you not see that happening? Uh, legit question. I don't know. I don't think we will lose the networks, um, especially let's see what happens with this uh, potential writer's strike. And oh, yeah, I was going to ask you your need. on that because I know the last writer's strike happened in 07, 08, and it just made me curious, like, um, okay. Yeah, I could talk How on that. How often do these strikes happen, you know? Yes. So it's, to finish that first part, I yeah. think streamers are obviously here to stay and only growing stronger, and networks have their own streaming platforms, and, like, CBS has Paramount+, Plus, and some of their shows are only on Paramount+. Plus. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's Peacock for NBC. They all seem to have a platform or are working towards one. I don't think the networks themselves will go away just because it is still so profitable. Shows like Grey's Anatomy and the advertising uh, where there is much less advertising online and you can opt to skip the advertising as well. But um, I do think things are going to change and leading that into the writer's strike, you know, this, this uh, world of online and streaming is not a new concept. And I don't know why it has taken so long to get it where it needs to be. So it's fair to everyone. Uh, so I support, I'm in a union, so I support right. the right striking to get what they need. And I think, I think it's necessary because it will then, I believe SAG-AFTRA is an X one who's got some deals to make and could, could potentially strike. I think it's going to have a domino effect and uh, I fully support the writers and how long will it be? I don't know. I don't think it will be as long as the last one that you mentioned in 07, 08, cause that was horrific. It, it killed the oh, show that yes. I like, cause it's so funny. Again, I follow people from the office and you know, that was when I was then just starting to watch it and get to understand that. But then I was like, why does this season only have like 15 episodes? And then my dad's like, well, do you know that there's this huge writer strike? And then he, he, like explained to me all this stuff and it was also in the middle of like the start of the recession so of right. course I'm just like this baby you know I'm 10 I'm just starting to watch some of these shows and not still fully understanding what all goes into it like again you're just a kid that's watching all these things and think that they come instantly right <laughs> and especially now with streaming services I watch my cousins and they go they go when they watch cable tv they're like why can't we just skip ahead and I'm like Oh my God, you can. <laughs> like, I, it's like, I just want to hug you and show you what it was like in the early 2000s and how different. Cause it's so funny. Cause I don't even think I range from like eight to 15 years older. Yes. That's a lot, but not a lot. Like you think about it. Cause it's like, it's not even two decades. It's not really a decade. And suddenly 
you're talking to them and then suddenly you're like, oh, wait, you guys don't even remember any of this. I kind of remember the watching I'm on Instagram and I'm seeing like all the things like, because again, I follow the cast from the office. They're posting all the stuff like I stand with the writers and then they're showing pictures from 08 and I'm like, I'm like, I've seen this, but in like an archive file and all the this, and I see Cream Radden boasting, hey, my dudes, hey, friends, look at what the writer's strike needs to do. And he's like, just pumping it up. And I just can't get over though. But the best season of shows actually came from the writer's strike, in my opinion, like the funniest, the best writing. And that's why, like, yes, I show so much support for crew and production because they, you know, deserve so much. And especially with the pandemic, do you think that that like affected like the need, like need everything now? Or do you think it like slowed down some of that stuff and people could I think the pandemic absolutely affected everything. I mean, there was no work and then work slowly trickled back. And then it was like, there's so much work all of a sudden. And I feel like lately people are trying to get a lot done before the writer's strike in case it is a longer strike. I think shows are trying to get more episodes in the can the pandemic affected everything the writer strike will affect everything whether it's a month long or six months long right. like exactly. I even sent an email saying y'all better start saving your money now because it could be a minute right and that's where it's like with again and i know you don't do blockbuster but i've thought about this like with how much streaming has you know taken over for movies and you know tv it's kind of like uh less is of people going out and buying the film do you think that that affects the industry on how much money they make and able to do like payouts meaning because people stream and rent instead of buying right yes um i <clears throat> excuse me i think i honestly feel like and i'm sure there are numbers out there that will agree with me or right. disagree <laughs> i feel like there's probably more money to be made in simply streaming or like a rental streamer at five dollars as opposed to buying for twenty dollars because right. then every time it's watched when it's rented or streamed it's different than if i bought it and i'm just i've downloaded it you have no idea if i'm watching it 27 times so i feel like in the long run it's probably better to profit off of streaming and rentals than it is purchase and then how do you feel like about um because you said you do small production company stuff do you feel like um small productions do better now with everything that's gone streaming platform or do you think they suffer more i think it goes up and down i feel like lately it is definitely harder for lower budget smaller productions uh partly because there's so much work out there that a lot of the name actors that we need to headline the film have so many choices that it is just a little bit harder and the push for the big agencies for their clients to only do like star making roles has seemed to increase so i'm feeling a little bit of a, a, a crunch in the indie film world that seems right. to be a little bit more difficult including getting financing for the films seems to be a different ball game now i hope it levels out but i definitely feel like it's a little more difficult right now mm -hmm. yeah and then because you know i think of all like the netflix that 90s show that brand new spinoff from right. that 70s show they're doing a live studio audience now do you feel like more of more streaming platforms are going to go that route now where you know they used to do like live studio audience with the big networks but now that you know streaming has kind of taken over do you think yeah. that, that there might be a more of a push for that as well as I, comedies I, I did read something about how uh sitcoms were 
sort of having a resurgence. People were enjoying the ones taped in front of a live audience. Uh, is it going to have to be so much sometimes? I know. I don't, I don't enjoy the laugh track, but I think it's just going to depend. The, the streamers will do some, and if it really takes off, they're going to go with anything that takes off. I personally don't see that being like a huge resurgence. Maybe there'll be a few more, but I, I don't see it being a huge thing, personally. Wrap up this. What, what kind of... Do you like see everyone under the sun when you're coaching people? Do you coach like littles to all the way like senior citizens? <laughs> Yeah, anyone who needs coaching. I mean, I'm not going to coach a four-year-old. I think oh, yeah. But yes, if if they are like, I don't know, 10. Where they 10, can also be like kind of informed. Like you don't want someone uh, under the age of 10, really. Right. And act, actors who can understand and, and make choices and, and who get it. Uh, I, you can be brand new to the business. You can be 20 years worth of experience. I'll work with anybody. It could be a co-star role. It could be a, a day player role or the lead role. I just like working with people. I love the teaching. It's, and the connection. Yeah. That's what really, um, that's kind of why I, you know, I always wanted to do this, but I think with the pandemic, it just kind of made everything way more accessible. Like I said, I live in the Midwest. It's not, we do a lot of independent films. So in order to get to that next level, a lot of the places just do commercials and stuff like that. And I'm not as much into commercials. So it's kind of like suddenly I had more access and, you know, social media has connected me to so many amazing people. And I'm like, again, I found you through another casting director and you guys all know each other. And the fact that you guys were giving such similar information, it made me feel like completely validated, safe, you know, all those great things because how do you feel about that misinformation that goes around? Oh, it, like I'm that guy that like instant blood boils that bad information, misinformation or people who are trying their best, but like they haven't really worked in the business for 10 years. So how do they really know? And I see a lot of casting directors. Why you're not on TikTok? <laughs> uh, no, I just, I haven't learned TikTok yet. But oh, that's fine. I-, I just wondered if it was because, you, you know, there's some other people on TikTok that are able to do that. And it's like, you can. Hold oh, I see it on Instagram all the time, but that misinformation drives me crazy because it helps no one and it misleads actors. And some of it is just plain wrong. Some of it is subjective. Okay. Our opinions are different, but sometimes it is a fact. There is a fact here and you're misguiding people or you're, you're just saying it wrong or it drives me crazy which is why I, partly why I do what I do on Instagram. Exactly. And that's what I love about it. Because again, there's so many people that do like that was backstage and backstage is such a great website, but then they're like, I'm an expert. I'm like, I know you're doing UGC and you're reading off of something and you have no idea what you're talking about. And that's <laughs> right. where it's like, you know, how do you tell people like a, a kind of like me who aren't, managed signed with anyone who you know needs to make money get stuff on their resume as you know like the commercials slash the shows national tv all those kind of things you just have to be consistently scouring the breakdowns every morning like so there's all the different breakdown submission site right actors access la casting casting workbook etc um I will just use Actors Access as the example because they're sort of that main player. Actors have to wake up in the morning and scour the breakdowns and submit 
submit submit and you can there's a way you can put in some keywords so that you get an email notification if that keyword pops up in a breakdown but you've got to submit submit to student films short films independent projects low budget it doesn't matter get auditions get the experience auditioning you'll get some of the jobs you'll get some callbacks you'll meet people you'll get the experience maybe you'll get some material for demo reel but it's on you guys to really find the projects and make your own Right. Uh, yeah. Kind of What's like there? I've always wanted to do this podcast, and so I just decided to go with it. But obviously, podcasts are so big right now that you're not going to have everyone see them, listen to them, whatever. And this has been like a year where you know I've been slowly growing. I'm a you know micro, but at least like you know I I'm constantly getting higher listens. Like it's working. It's just kind of you know a slower process. So that's why I was curious, like what um kind of to do when you're creating your own stuff, but it might not seem like you're going. Well, I think you need to. The podcast is is amazing. I think you also need to create some on camera acting. Uh, work for yourself, whether that's a web series or a short film or whatever, so that you can, you can show the world your acting skills and write something, write what you know, you have such an interesting life and a very specific experience. And I think do a little comedic short film about that in terms of the world of of casting and acting. And And yes, and I do a lot of voiceover stuff as well. So I've been thinking about like kind of doing like the cartoon stuff. So that's, we have our like whole life, like in our technology now. So it is very much easier to make that. And it's kind of one of those where I was just asking also, aside from that with like how, you know, a lot of people are like about money, money, money. So they're willing to sell out. How do you like avoid selling out if that makes In terms of taking jobs? Yes. Like if you're not like, if it's like an ad or just something that you don't really believe in. Don't, don't, don't do it. Like the choice is yours, but you can say no to a project for any reason. Okay. Uh, You, you, you also don't have to submit. You don't have to accept the audition, but if you're not sure and you get the audition and maybe you get a call back and at some point, like, I don't know. I reread the script. Uh, not, it's not driving with me. You, you can just bow out. No one's going to hate you okay. because yes. it's not for you unless you get to like, you could, you've gone to the callback and now you're at the chemistry with the director and they offer you the role and then you turn it down. That becomes a, lo- a long waste of time. Uh, and then you'll get people frustrated with you, but don't have to take every project. Don't sell out. I turn down projects all the time when they're not right for me. Well, not all the time, but I turn down projects that are not right for me. I don't, I don't agree with the script. It's just not my thing or whatever it is. And actors have the full right to also turn down jobs. You don't want to be nude. Don't be nude. You don't want to tell a story about child abuse. Don't, don't do that project, whatever it is. And it's one of those where, yes, I'm grateful to hear this because it's kind of like, you can say no, but I feel like we live in a yeah. kind of society where we're told that, you know, you'll be blacklisted and no, all no, no, no. And then that's, that's where I just needed to remind myself that that's not true. And again, when you get an agent, person. when you get an agent, you'll have to have that conversation with them because they're not going to want to be submitting you on all these projects that right. you then turn down. So it's just a conversation you have again, communication with whomever it is. And while you're doing it on your own, just follow your gut. How long do you think on average does it take for someone to find an agent when they're kind of in my role? Because I've applied, haven't heard back. 
and I've it's you know, a long time six month you know break from doing that kind of just working to get stronger on some other things I can't really speak for where you live but actors who newly moved to LA for example I think it takes two to three years of living in the city getting familiar with that new world and how the business is there and networking and meeting people and booking your own jobs and getting a demo reel so you can prove to an agent Look, look what I can do. I make you money because that's what they care about is making money. Um, it, it will take years. And I think if you're not in a, a major hub for Hollywood stuff, I think it will potentially take you longer. Okay. Yeah. And I'm currently like just kind of looking for anything and, you know, applying to smaller agencies all around, like yeah. not just limiting myself, but it was just kind of curiosity. Like keep submitting because there are plenty of agencies out there that take on developmental clients, meaning l less experienced actors with less of a resume and they'll help build you, mold you right. and get you out there. So go for it. Awesome. Well, this has been great. Thank you yeah, so for being on here and answering, obviously, all of my questions. It's just kind of world questions. It's been great talking to you and getting you to know. Well. You're very refreshing, and I enjoy it. Yes. I, I hope I didn't ask too many of the same questions because no, we all the podcast thing goes. Oh, wonderful. Hit me up anytime. Stay in touch. You have my yes, info. Yes, definitely stay in touch. Absolutely. Thanks, Sarah. You're welcome. Have a great day. You too. Ciao, everyone. Thank you.